Welcome to season two of the Making Bank podcast, where we continue our exploration of South Florida's entrepreneurial landscape with host Keith Costello, co-founder and CEO of Locality Bank. Sit back, relax, and let South Florida visionaries guide you on an entrepreneurial journey from tribulation to triumph, sharing the very stories that have shaped them. Andy Smith, welcome to Locality Bank's Making Bank podcast. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and also in South Florida. So it's great. Thank you. Well, uh, this is a unique episode. Um, And because usually we have been speaking with local South Florida entrepreneurs, and I really came across Andy's profile on LinkedIn, and I'm start reading about what he's done and his background, and I was like, wow, this is really cool, and just reached out and said, you know, would you, would you be on the podcast? He responded right away, and I was like, that would be great, and, you know, so you, you came down from Atlanta? I did, yes. Yeah, so welcome to South Florida. We're happy you're here, and we're really excited to dig into your story, and, and so... You know, like I tell, it's a pretty, uh, I'm not a complex person. So I usually just start with, you know, where, where'd you grow up? Tell me about, you know, your, your family, how you grew up and, and, and entrepreneurial experiences that maybe happened as a young person. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you for having me. It's a great place to be in a great town of thriving entrepreneurship and fellow entrepreneur in yourself. So thank you. Thank you. So I grew up in a small suburb of Birmingham, Alabama. I was very blue collar oriented. So mom was a nurse, worked night shift. Mm-hmm. My dad was an electrician. He worked day shift. And so they were pouring into two young boys and, and sacrificing daily to get us an education, get us raised in the proper way and to put food on the table. And we were probably lower middle class. I asked my dad now, did you ever feel poor? Did you ever feel he says, absolutely not. Even <laughs> though we were making the daily bread every single day and it, it was a wonderful upbringing. So two very loving parents and went on to go through high school in this little small town, but always had this burning desire to get out. I didn't know to get out to what, but to get out and mm-hmm. to, to break through the mold of just barely making it by, just struggling daily basis, just not having a full dream and aspiration of where you're going to go. And so I had that burning desire ever since I graduated high school, went on to Auburn University and then um, busted out of Auburn, came over to South Georgia, worked at a nuclear power plant and busted out of there to go to Atlanta where I could get into a, a, a different scene. When you were, when were you, when you were uh, young and growing up, did you ever get involved in any businesses or jobs when you were so uh, growing up. you'll hear the story of the the lemonade stand right so yeah. we had that and okay. we didn't know why we just knew we were gonna serve a serve a local need right mm-hmm. and people would stop and buy and then tried baseball cards tried flipping baseball cards the yeah. same some of the undertones you hear with the entrepreneurial journey right never coined it entrepreneurial never coined it i want to own a business right mm-hmm. just i love this thing of business and love kind of talking to people and so it was interesting because I went into college life and university in, as an engineer, but I didn't. And that was only because my family said, hey, you can go get a great job as an engineer. You'll have a lifetime career. You'll make money. You'll, you'll provide a family. And so it was that was the, the first step of breaking out of the, the small town. Yeah. 
so so you got that engineering degree in Auburn, and then you you headed to Atlanta. So I went to South small town of Vidalia, Georgia. Okay, Southeast Georgia. That's where the onions come from. That's where the onions come from. <laughs> and there's a nuclear power plant there. Oh, okay. and they were paying well out of college, and <laughs> I didn't know what a valve looked like, like a valve that operates with in a pipeline. I'm like, man, I'm this engineer, mechanical engineer. Let me go take a job where I can physically see and touch stuff, mm-hmm. and soon to find out you're you're managing and overseeing the work of welders and carpenters and plumbers who have been doing this work for their entire life and now all of a sudden a young 21 22 year old comes in and is supposed to sign off on the drawings that they're going to go weld so it was a super interesting experience to be able to kind of take hey i'm in this new setting relate to the people start to figure out what how do I not, how do I work with these people mm-hmm. on a daily basis? So it was a super cool kind of early experience into what later became leadership, but got my eyes on it at that point. So one thing that, you know, I was reading about you is that when you were 16, you were working on an assembly line. You tell us in that it changed your life. Can you tell us about that? I, I wish my kids could have a similar experience. So I worked from the time I was 16 and could have a job. I worked, played, played multiple sports throughout the year and also worked continuously. So I worked at a grocery store. That was an experience. Worked at the office maxes and the local stores, another learning experience. And then the year between graduating high school and going to college, there was a company that made fire extinguishers called Amorex. And they were based in a little small town, Trustful, Alabama. And you could go work 10 hours a day, 40 hours a week, six o'clock to four o'clock buzzer sounds at six o'clock and you had to be on the assembly line hanging fire extinguishers on one end and taking out painted ones on the other end and so it gave you a chance to stand up all day next to other human beings who were doing this job as their full-time job i was just there for the summer but and learn their stories and learn what drove them learn to discern what was real and not real because you could hear all kinds of stories everybody was a former professional athlete and just in the right. And so you're, you're learning these things. And it just was another example of like finding a leadership ability and understanding people through those small little experiences. But it, it, the, the memory was during Christmas, the, the owner, the CEO came in and gave everyone a, a $100 bill in an envelope as the present. And it was a, it was, it was amazing. He stood up on this big bridge, looked down, announced this thing. It, it was super impactful for the employees. And it just gave me the first look of, hey, you can make an impact on other people's lives through business. And it, it, it was a super interesting experience, but it just kind of taught me that one, I got to break out of this. Two, you, we all have a full potential. Let's go figure out how do we find that? What does that look like and how do we get there and not put these limits on us? And three, you can make major impact through business, which I like. So it was yeah. It was the beginning of kind of the ingredients were starting to form, I would say. So that was like, boom, like kind of a moment where you, where you said, uh, that's interesting when you think about just handing that $100 bill out and the impact it had on all those people. Yeah, yeah. Um, really interesting. And, and because that gave the, I mean, that they're their daily bread and that gave them another big, and he gave it to every employee. So it was just super interesting to see yeah. how, how impactful it could be. That's, that's incredible. So, so you went uh, then and, and you're working in a nucle- nuclear power plant. Yeah. And so I decided that, 
hey, I really love this business thing, right? I got to, yeah. how do I continue to explore that? And so I went and applied to the University of Florida and they had a special program where you could do engineering and MBA once a weekend down on the campus with a group of 30 other students. Uh-huh. Like, heck yeah, man, this gets me out of the town for a, for a weekend. I meet new people, come down Going to Florida. Going to Gainesville? Going to Gainesville. There you go. Right. You know, shorts in January, like it's awesome. <laughs> and spent 18 months with this group. So we became great friends, great lessons, loved the university. And I'm working at a nuclear power plant during the day, studying at night. And I get to year two and I realize everyone that works here has left the small town, went away to school, Georgia Tech or wherever they went. Mm-hmm. And they've come back to now live in the small town where they grew up and operate. And it just gave me memories of what I came from. So small town, I was wanting to break out. And now I had found myself in another small town where I'm now sort of, sort of trapped, sort of in a box of just, you're going to go through operator school and then you're going to come back and be a manager. And then you're going to compete for one or two or three of the top jobs in the plant. And then yeah. maybe if you get the big town, you'll, you'll move to Atlanta or Birmingham where the corporate offices were. Okay. I was like, man, this is... This is a fixed pattern that I don't really love. And so started looking for a job. And I'm like, I love business. I love this MBA thing that I've now gotten. Is there a, is there a way I could combine the two? A love for business development, a love for business, and a love for technology. And I found that through, and it took a lot of time, but I found that through a company in Atlanta, which is a Belgian-based company who had a small little entrepreneurial hub and they were taking products, early stage products, and taking them to market. Mm-hmm. So I made the jump. We moved up. My wife and I moved up to Atlanta, and then um, started with them. And what kind of products were they? So they had combustion-related products. So the the Belgian manufacturer Beckart was a steel wire manufacturer, and their strategy at the time was to diversify and use that fiber in all types of other products. And they realized that this nice metal fiber meshed up like the old chainmail worked great as a burner surface. So if you think about like your rotisserie grill has that ceramic tile mm-hmm. on it, this was a, a material that replaced that. Wow. And then we found out, well, this is environmentally friendly. Oh, this could be used in industrial applications, boilers. And, and so they hired two guys when they were starting to get, they hired two of us. One took a, the boiler product line and covered the Northeast United States. And then I took every other product for the rest of the United States. So when you say you took the product, does that mean you were selling? It was sell this product, go find out where we could sell it, and then sell it. Mm-hmm. And what I didn't know at the time was I worked for two true entrepreneurs in a big company, right? They were, they were the entrepreneurs, I guess you would call them. Okay. Um, but it was free reign to go try, explore, test. So it was sort of the, the first ever playground sandbox of entrepreneurship that I had inside a big organization where it was safe, right? Making yeah. a salary and it's safe and, and to take product to market. So it was, it was great to go and say, hey, Mr. Customer, do you, does this solve your problem? Is it what you want? Is it what you need? Is it, and we found a few niche industries and then um, just kind of went into those and, and grew them. And it resulted in moving to um, Calgary, Alberta for about oh, wow. a year and a half. And so I was in Mexico at a customer and got a call from the big manager, right? Hey, we have a need up in, um, we had an office there, but can you go run that office? I was like, oh, I love that. So got the call on Friday, was there on the Sunday. <clears throat> had a two month old girl, so first baby. <laughs> we move up and we're living in a hotel and 
they had a corporate office downtown. It's a little different than uh, Birmingham. Man, we had to get the baby carriage <laughs> in downtown Calgary in November and wrap an entire piece of plastic around the thing just to, you know, because here we are. It's wintertime. Yeah, I was just up there in June in Banff and it was yeah. snowing. Yeah, It crazy. was like 30 degrees. So crazy. It, it's and, cold and, up there. And so it was interesting experience. You learned that. And yeah. I remember driving up on the first day that we had a shop up in Red Deer, which was about an hour and a half north. And then Banff would be like an hour and a half to the west. Yeah. Drive up to the shop. There's a 18 pack of beer. Guys are all sitting around the boss's table. There was no boss at the time. And feet are up on the desk and they're like, what are you here to do? You know? And so again, another thing of people relationship is that you've got to figure out, meet them where they are, figure out what are their concerns, their limits, their things and help them. So it was learned a ton, spent a lot of time <laughs> in the field, a lot of time doing the job and, and just navigating it all. I love that idea of the sandbox, the entrepreneurial sandbox, you know, so you got to really within the kind of the safety of a company, really test your entrepreneurial skills. And yeah. uh, that, it's cool. I didn't know it at the time, but that, and that's, that's like, like when we try to hire people now, we look for that entrepreneurial skill set because you're a problem solver. You're taking initiative, right? You have some drive to you. Like those, just a few simple metrics and, and traits can propel you in an entrepreneurial career or even inside of a company because it's just, it gives you, they're, they're just self-starter. Let me uh, elaborate on that point a little bit because do you, so hiring somebody who's, who is entrepreneurial, um, do you support them if they want to go start their own company or do you, how do you feel about that? I've changed my feeling on it. Okay. And I started with, we have produced a lot of entrepreneurs. This <laughs> and I started my first company um, in 2007. Okay. And from the spawn of that, what you find is that employees oftentimes see the sexiness of entrepreneurship. Ah, the results of all the fruit of this labor. Ah, the, the, oh, there's a new car. Oh, there's a beach house. Oh, there's, you know, the thrivingness of what an entrepreneur is doing, living their best life, right? And what they miss is all of the struggle, years and sweats and just pain that entrepreneurship is full of. And so I have found that people will step out into the role of entrepreneurship and that's where they get the cold plunge of, oh, it's now my money, it's now my thing. And I used to think about those entrepreneurs as competitors. And I would realize, ah, oh, man, that person, you know, time was up with us, they went and started another thing and they're a competitor. I've changed my mind on that. Now it's supporting those folks who want to leaving. Because what I've realized is that we all have a potential in our lives. We all have an ability to do great things and it's way more fun helping those people go thrive and do those great things, even if that's starting a business. Because I, I don't think, I think about competition differently now than I used to. And so it's, I, I have made a hard 90 on that one in terms of like helping them thrive and, and grow in their own endeavor mm -hmm. versus trying to knock them down or tear them up or, oh, you're a competitor. We're no longer friends, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I think that's a real evolution. Um, and, and, you know, I congratulate you on changing your thinking. I mean, I'm not saying one's right or wrong yeah. or, but to be able to, uh, evolve in the way you think about things, I think is a real, that's a great attribute to not just be locked into one way of, of thinking. I, th um, I think that's the major trait of an entrepreneur is open-mindedness and the ability to 
be willing to maneuver and change your opinion, your thoughts related. To, I mean, we all have our core belief system, but then after that, it's a, it's a, it's an ever changing, ever growing world out there full of all different types of people who are not better, not worse, just different. And yeah. the more we can celebrate those things, it's, I find that that if you had to put the word around open-mindedness is a huge one. So tell me about stepping out of the sandbox. How do you decide to go from the sandbox to the real, you know, to starting a company? By nature, I'm very optimistic. And I found myself in 2005, six, leading up to 2007 as this complainer. I'm never happy. I'm, I'm in the job. Can't figure out why I'm not happy, but I'm not happy with the boss's decision to do this. I'm not happy with why, why aren't we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why is being an A plus rated performance review get you 4% of a raise versus you know, whatever? Like I was just frustration, frustration, frustration. And so my matrix boss at the time lived in Europe. So he was over in Europe working for the same division that I was working for. And he's like, Andy, I'm leaving. My time is up here. I was here for four years. And why don't we start a business? I'm like, yeah, let's start it. Let's just, we, this company, the big Belgium company was in a, a new CEO. They're now consolidating. And our little product was an outlier. So let's just see if we could, our goal was one thing, make a check, make a paycheck, just enough, $60,000, $70,000 to feed the family. Goal number one, that was it. We each put $26,000 into the business. Mine came from the HELOC of my old property in Vidalia. <laughs> and cause most risky decision ever, I moved to Vidalia right out of college, take a job at a nuclear power plant, buy a house. Like super risky at that time. When I look back, the most <laughs> risky. and. When I put that house up for sale, no one wanted it, put it up for rent, rented the next day. <laughs> so we I had a house with a little HELOC in it and yeah. took that money, poured it into the business. And it was day one, bought a website, and then just kept going from there. And so that's been, that was our goal. We didn't, it didn't go that way. You know, there was a, lots of barriers in the early days, but we started out with just a goal of make a salary. And what was that business? So it was a similar business to what we were doing at the big Belgium company. So we were going to take a, we called it a clean enclosed burner. So a big burner that replaces the big flare stacks that you'll see. So a, you had a refinery, you'll see a big candlestick and the big flame coming out of the top. Okay. We had a unit that would do that, but fully enclosed. And you were selling these to? We could sell those to wastewater treatment plants, landfills, okay. oil and gas, um, the mining industry. And so we had a few projects that we thought we were gonna, you know, use as our first fundamental projects. We got none of those. Mm -hmm. So we realized in like month three that here we are, we started in August. We didn't win any of those companies. We've got a brand, we're building that up. At the time, social media wasn't around or just beginning, but it was, you know, we're calling customers, we're emailing customers, trying to get our product out there. Yeah. And I'm in the only one in the US. I'm the business development side of our, and we had a technical founder, that's what he was. And so we were just hustling for anything we could get. And then we got the lawsuit from the big Belgium company who thought we were competing. Right. So they, that came in a knock on the door and I was served paperwork of like an 80 page book. Mm. And it was basically like, hey, we think you're competing. Here's all the claims. So, oh, well, now we're dead. Yeah. Took $10,000 just to put a retainer down on an attorney. Wow. And so fast forward through just 
faith and perseverance, we end up settling that. And we settled it. This is super interesting because we settled it by giving them the non-compete on that product because we had no money. We couldn't continue. Right. So that forced us to find another product that eventually would become the one that we were able to sell and scale the business wow. and then exit from. So out of that, like scary moment came uh, the idea of a new product. Exactly. And yeah. I think that's the the place we get to as entrepreneurs on this journey is we hit that obstacle and the entrepreneur is going to then push through, find a way around it, have the right mindset, the right resourcefulness to then maneuver. A non-entrepreneur is going to stop. Mm. That's the big difference because that's what separates, I think, the true entrepreneurs who are out there going to make it at most any cost versus ah, hit an obstacle. It's wasn't the right thing. Yeah. Go get a job. I'll go, go back to the power plant. <laughs> right. right. Just go back to Vidalia. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. when in my career, like when I took that job at the nuclear power plant to my family and to people back home, you had made it, man. You, that was awesome. Yeah. When you take the job with a Belgium company, you're a bonehead, dude. You just increase your risk with a, a Belgium company. Like, hmm, what are you doing? And so now you've introduced risk. When you, when I left to go start the business, holy, he's lost his mind. The guy's crazy. <laughs> like, he's risking everything. Right. It's a very different yeah. uh, steps and very different transformational thoughts about was I a quack or not? You know, yeah. all those things. So, uh, yeah, I've heard like uh, Jocko Willink talk and he, he says, when something bad happens, great. Yeah. Right? Yeah. right. You know, and because if you have that attitude, you figure it out, right? You say, oh, this is, you know, it's good, bad, whatever. Something happened. You can either say great or you can say, oh, that sucks and I'm, I'm ruined. Or you can say, oh, I'm going to do something else like you did. So, so you went on to this new product and then tell us how, how that evolved. So we, start, we kept chiseling away. We had some, um, some inroads at Shell, the big oil and gas conglomerate. And they had the perfect combination of environmental person and engineer mixed into one. We got into that person and they ended up buying a few units. So oh. we had to put into the price that we would, you know, we could hire our first employee in that quote. So in our quote was enough money to hire our first employee. So we went and started interviewing and we interviewed, we're in Atlanta. So we interviewed Georgia Tech because we're looking for a project manager. Interviewed the whole day. And then the very last interview was someone who was willing to work part-time. Good engineer, willing to work part-time. I'm like, oh, perfect. You cost less. Come on <laughs> in. And so poured into him over the course of two, three years. He became a phenomenal rock star of an employee. But you had to go through every single chiseling of teaching him all through the mistakes and everything that you're going through. Yeah. And so got a second job, ended up getting a customer down in Mexico. So we sold 36 units. And these would be anywhere from 10000 to $500,000 for the units. Got some units down in Mexico, took that order in pesos, which I would never do now. <laughs> but yeah. again, risk, right? And you're yes. just sort of, you're, you're running a little bit on naiveness. And then we got a phone call. And so now we're, we're doing $2 million a year. Now we're doing $2.5 million a year. And then in some month of 2009, I get a phone call and it's like, hey, Andy, um, this is Alice. I'm the purchasing manager of Continental Resources. And we want to, we saw your quote, we want to buy as many units as you can make. Wow. And he goes, there was silence. And he goes, I hear you breathing. Just get back to me with delivery and what you can do. 
<laughs> and what was happening was the the regulations were beginning to change. They had mm -hmm. a forward thinking environmental engineer who was ahead of it. And I mean, that's, we realized it was our who, who were out targeting. And we ended up going back and, and that took our business from 2.5 million up to around 10 million over the course of the next two years. So wow. we were now in 2012 doing 12 and a half million dollars of revenue. Great, great profit margins. Mm -hmm. We had started seven companies under the umbrella. So we had a service company, a manufacturing company, a real estate company. So we had all these little companies and I got a letter in the mail and it said, hey, we want to buy your company. And I'm like, buy, <laughs> you can buy a company? I'm like, you don't sell a company. Like nobody's going to buy a company. And I just tossed it. And then, it, so it sat in a stack of papers here. And then a month later, we get a phone call from a strategic buyer who said, hey, Andy, we want to acquire your company. It was a partner of ours. And I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. So pulled that paper out, made the phone call. And so now we had a private equity buyer and a strategic buyer. And it was me talking to them both, having no understanding of deal flow, not totally outmatched. Yeah. And so I'm like, ah, you, you trade on six times EBITDA? What is EBITDA again? Ah, okay. <laughs> and then you're willing to pay this? And, and wonderful experience. We ended up going with private equity because they were an Atlanta-based company. Mm -hmm. And then went all the way up. I, the only requirement we had was the deal has to be closed by the end of December because the tax laws were changing. Uh-huh. And so it went all the way. We allowed it to go from March all the way to the very last day of December. And that's when we exited. And that was December of 2012. 2012. Wow. Yep. And Great. so then, I mean, the deal was on and off multiple times. It got restructured multiple times. And, and I remember just sitting in the big office, almost shaking because it's your baby. Yeah. And people are talking bad about your baby. And you're like, hey, I built this thing. So we were, we were 50-50 whether we should sell it or not. The reason we did is because we had reached a point in our, maybe my ability at the time to feel comfortable now scaling a business. Mm -hmm. So we've got a business from launch phase to momentum phase, but how do you go through momentum phase? And I had not flexed that muscle ever. I didn't have that skill set yet. Mm -hmm. And so I always describe it as a train was on the tracks and it was just so fragile. This was our chance to say, let's take a few chips off the table and give our, our family a generational change that's never happened before. Yeah. And um, so that was end of 2012. And then 2013 began a, a four-year journey of now working for private equity. Okay. Before they exited again. So you, you stayed on and worked in the company? With yeah. Them. So it was, yeah. My, my biggest takeaway there was young entrepreneur selling his baby, now going to work for, you know, Harvard graduates, Ivy League school graduates, people who were private equity bound. They just had, they, they could do numbers in their sleep faster right. than I could awake. And so I thought everything, they were right. Like I always assumed, oh, you must be right because- You're so smart. You guys are so smart. <laughs> you got a Harvard education. And, and I never pushed back on anything. So I just kind of got sucked into the lazy pond. And that was, that was good and bad. We ultimately grew it up to about 24 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. And then- got crushed when oil and gas got tanked in uh, 2015-16. So we ended up, we had a ton of leverage was put on the business. So ended up exiting to a strategic buyer at that time to keep, yeah. and the brand's still alive today. And um, so super proud about that, but cool. it was a journey, a learning, mm -hmm. both sides of the table. Wow. Both sides. So that company sells again, and then, then what do you find yourself doing? Throwing the football in the front yard with my time was probably a four-year-old. And the neighbors were like, 
this dude not have a job? Like, what's he doing? <laughs> and I'm, I'm was too like, I need to be doing something. I'm supposed to be doing something. What am I supposed to be doing? And an employee calls and says, Hey, Andy, a former employee. Hey, Andy, I started this business. It's a service business in the oil and gas space, servicing a lot of the old equipment. And I've gotten it to 700,000 in revenue and I'm maxed out. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm so good at this. I'll, we know what to do. We're, we have the magic wand, baby. And so put together a few people, we bought that business and then realized we're just gonna do it the same way we did before. It'll dang sure gonna work. And we got to year three, that was 2017. Now we're in 2020 and realized every single thing we were trying was based on what we tried back in 07 to 2010. We were complacent. We had not, the world had changed. We had not changed. Now you have this thing called social media. We didn't adapt quick enough and we grew it revenue wise, but we were like, Hey, we're when 2020 happened, oil just got decimated. Right. And so we either had to dump a bunch more money in to fight with a single product against a bunch of multi-product companies or sell that business to someone who needed that product line. Caught up a few strategic buyers at the time, sold it, not anywhere near the first one, got out of it. And then 2020, here we are back again with, you know, what are we going to do? Right. <laughs> and so jump right back in and it's just been that kind of journey. And so what have you been doing since 2020? Well, so we had a manufacturing facility mm -hmm. and when we sold it, we got rid of the manufacturing facility and then I'm perusing on the internet a few months later and I find a business for sale in North Alabama that's got um, a, a founder who's ran it for 10 years, consistently done a million dollars a year in a small little area and they're looking to get out. Kids don't want the business, don't know what to do with it, mm -hmm. just want to exit. So I'm like, ah. Oh. So I speak to him, it's like, my business is booming, you know, you have a manufacturing shop, I'll send you some work. I'm like, your business is booming, it's 2020 and not everybody's even gone out of the house yet, you know? Yeah. And it turns out um, it was, it was doing well. And so it's a storm shelter manufacturer, acquired that business. So that took us through the end of 2020. So start of 2021, acquired this little storm shelter business, rebranded it day one, which is a gong show. I would never do that again. Rebranded it day one. And then some other um, people in our town called and said, hey, Andy, we, we got this thing, like we invented it for the mining industry here in South Florida. And we're, we've got a patent on it. We think it's gonna change the world and it's SaaS technology. I'm like, oh, that's, those are sexy words all together <laughs> when you think industrial, yeah. solve a problem, yeah. all this kind of stuff, patented. And so acquired that company. I realized, hey, this is, there's a little bit of a pattern for me here. How do I sort of do this? How do I do this properly? So put a holding company there called Blacksmith Ventures. And Blacksmith Ventures now owns three little companies. The through line of them is all reg tech um, compliance technologies and all very small babies put in a great operator to run those. And so we, we've basically got, I'll sometimes say it's a, it's like, so my mom worked in the NICU intensive care unit mm -hmm. for newborn babies. Most days are like that where we've got three little babies, Sometimes on life support, sometimes they're, <laughs> they're thriving and going over into the well side of the office. And my, what I found through that process was my love and passion is putting in great people, great entrepreneurs to run those great operators, and then helping them do that. And so 
we've got this stable business now. Fast forward to today, yeah. stable business. I pour into those leaders when they need it, as often as they need it, sometimes on a daily basis. And then I'm out basically building the next thing. And I don't know, quite know what it is yet, but it's a platform to be able to help people and entrepreneurs take that next step. What I, it's funny because I even drew it out on the plane this morning of we all are, we all are here. We're at this place. We all have this potential to come here and our limits, our fears, our doubts, our environment sometimes can keep us here unless we figure out that way. So I saw above the clouds through entrepreneurship. I saw that you can take risk, persevere through stuff, have some successes, get beat down most of the time, but you can, you can achieve that potential. And how do we now help others see that and, and achieve that is a big, big intersection for me of where like joy, passion and impact sort of, sort of meet. Wow. And so doing that through business is, is the lens of it. Um, but it's, yeah. Where's the name come from? Blacksmith Ventures. So when we drove around in our first venture, my partner and I would come over, he would come over from Europe. My mother-in-law gave us a truck to drive because we couldn't afford a new car, couldn't afford anything like that. So we would drive around the Southeast to fabricators looking for help making our product. There's two guys, we had a brand. We would even go into these fabricators and we'd put our sign on their front door and say, when customers come, they're coming into <laughs> S and X yeah. metal, but we'd put our little sign on, right? Yep. And we, we called those people blacksmiths on the corner because they all were the same thing. They were all business owners who had started a business, taken the risk, grew it to a certain level, and they were satisfied. They were providing for their family. They're satisfied. The only thing they probably knew to do at the end of their journey was let's just lock her up and it's been a good ride and move on. So we just met all these business owners and it was like, huh. So Blacksmith Ventures was the, was the namesake to say, how do we, how do we, how do we honor that? How do we help that entrepreneur who is like the founder that we acquired the business from? Like, in fact, all of them that we've mm -hmm. acquired is you've got a founder, an entrepreneur who's gotten to a certain level. They get stuck and they don't go any further or they don't know how to exit their business. How do we then give them the platform to do that or to continue to grow it and break through? And so, and so that's Blacksmith Ventures that's Blacksmith now. Ventures. And that's your business that you're running. And that's then right. do you, um, so do you take an ownership, obviously you take an ownership stake, do you provide capital? Do you, you know, what are the things that you do for these? Uh, and there's three companies right now? There's and, three. And it's yeah. interesting, we, we had to learn, I had to learn this firsthand. Mm -hmm. So we, we, I did not ever learn to fundraise because in our first venture, our second venture, we, we had negative working capital. So we would sell a job. We would get some money up front. We'd get some money at stages and we would get some money and then we'd ship. So we always didn't need extra capital. Mm -hmm. And so never developed that muscle, just always knew we could sell more systems and we would grow. So venture number two comes and we just put our own money in. So that was right. how we funded it. Venture number three comes and we're starting to see all these deals. Entrepreneur needs help, entrepreneur, early stage entrepreneur. But they're like, yeah, we have no, we can't pay you, right? We have no money. We're, we're just starting up. We, we're tight. Will you take equity? I realized that at first I didn't have an answer for that. It was no. I didn't know how we could work together. Now we figured out that there are methods to taking, helping founders 
grow and scale their business through either fee-based or equity-based. Um, so we don't have to own it all the time mm-hmm. and we can more help them thrive and we just come along with them. And what kind of things do you help them with? What I've realized is that every business, if you look back to the very beginning, it's the same playbook. And so where do we start? You know, we start with the right mindset and we have to be resourceful. Those are two big pillars. And then diving into the business is like, are we focused on the customer first? So let's build out that attraction system first. So we understand what the customer wants. A lot of people start with the delivery. Hey, I've got this great product. You're like, ah, but you missed the opportunity in the market. So you're gonna waste a lot of time and money getting to that place where now you understand what they want. So it's starting with the customer, understanding what they want, helping them build those systems, build the nurturing systems, helping them convert, right? And then deliver. And, and now we're, I would say blessed with this tool called social media, right? That we can now do that at scale. We have mm-hmm. systems we can build at scale. And so the world for a lot of people has passed them by when you think about social media. I mean, how do you do it? What do you say? I'm not brave enough, right? And so it's, it's mirroring how do you put in the systems in your business, have the courage to do it, and how do you go tell your story? That's, that's the, 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 the things we're trying to encapsulate and then help with a founder. Incredible. Yeah. So do you uh, then, and I'm just, so you're, you, you're different than uh, a private equity, really? Or we, re- we are. We realize that we don't have a fund. Yeah. And that's preventing us from doing this at mass scale. Right. Like a private equity model would. Yeah. And so we're really just a holding company who sometimes on certain days looks like an incubator. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so uh, I, like, I like to call it a venture builder because it gives me a sense to say, hey, we're doing a lot of stuff, but everything we're doing ties back to building, mm-hmm. building businesses, building brands, building leaders, right? Building community. So it's, we're building, helping these owners and operators build. And would you, have you considered doing a fund? Very much. Okay. And there is where like entrepreneurs reach their limit. I've realized I have a limit with raising money because I'm like, oh, I can't ask anybody for money. How do do I do that? Right. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's been a three year journey of working through that for me personally. Yeah. Of how, what is a fund, you know? And then, you know, I, I hire, like I'm very believing in hiring people to accelerate the process from where you are today and where you want to be. Mm-hmm. So I would hire people to help me understand what a fund was, hire people. How do you, how do you raise money? And it's ultimately for me, it comes back to that. And the same thing for entrepreneurs It's that limit, that belief system, those shackles that you put on yourself that prevents you from breaking through. Yeah. So is that something you want to do? Yes. Because I think you can impact more. Okay. I think you can impact two things. I think you can impact the founders and the entrepreneurs, the Andes of the world, right? The us right. of the world. And you can impact the investor and you can be the bridge to that. Yeah. I can see that in my mind, bridging that all around impact, right? For those two people groups and generational change for the founder and financial freedom for the investor. Yeah. And so I'm somewhere in the process of mentally building that bridge, right? Well, I'm sure that if that's something that you want to do, that that's going to happen. And, you know, just... From what you've done so far, obviously you're somebody who doesn't let fear stop you from pursuing what you want to do. So 
I've realized, and uh, in, in, this has been more recently than before, but fear is really like the absence of like love. And we're put here to really love if that's our one thing. And fear does nothing but get in the way of that. And it's, it's, this, it's the common thing with entrepreneurship because it is really hard to build a company. It's really hard to take the risk. It's really hard to deal with people, deal with money, deal with all of the obstacles. And fear is what steps in and hinders it, right? Yeah. And if you can make that one mental switch when everything in your day is going wrong and everything is crumbling and everything looks horrible, I'm just going to not believe in the fear and just believe in the moment, the wind stacking, right? You know, uh, it's it really uh, just listening to you describe that. I was with one of our customers today and they're very entrepreneurial company. You know, they've had their struggles and it was just so. Uh, like I loved the meeting I had this morning with them, you know, and it's because they're, they're all in, they're all in and, you know, and we're working towards their success together. And, you know, that's why we do what we do too. So it's similar to what you're talking about, you know, I mean, we don't have a fund, we have a bank, but that's, that's what we're doing with uh, the money that we have is, you know, really trying to help you know, entrepreneurs and, you know, also with the advice from people like you that, that come on. So um, this is, I mean, it's been a great story that you told here today, uh, Andy, uh, well, all you, the way from Atlanta. So I wanted to, um, you know, as we wrap this up, um, what do you, um, you know, what would be your message to entrepreneurs who are, who are listening? I think it all boils down to, if I say, what was the one thing that kept me going every single day, every single journey, every single venture, it's been faith. And faith is a definition of believing in what you don't yet see and what you can't see, right? We're not as faith, but we, when we start our journey, we're not seeing that we can make it there, but we have to have the faith to know that we can make it there. And when I like back all to the very first day of buying that website, we had the faith that we were going to make it through and we could be there and just keeping that daily, 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 no matter how positive it was on certain days or how negative it could be. One of my favorite quotes is faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things unseen, which is from the Bible. I love that. Um, uh, but just, um, you know, so I was getting goosebumps when you're saying well, you, that. I know you, you, you've asked people all the time's favorite book, right? Yeah. What is your favorite book? And that is my favorite book. The Bible is my favorite book. It's what I go to every single day to find leadership, to find encouragement, to find everything. And so it's, it is comfort there. And it's, um, so yeah, it's foundational for sure. Wow. I'm surprised nobody has said the Bible yet, you know? So it's the number one, I think it's a number one bestseller of all books. Uh, I could be wrong, but (laughs) it's up there. It's on the top 10. (laughs) Um, Well, interesting. So, and and that's great. Yeah, faith. I mean, I think uh, that's a real message. Like, uh, because if you don't have that faith, and like you said, when we first sat down, you're optimistic. If you don't have faith, if you don't have optimism, you know, just get a job and, you know, don't try this. Don't try this at home, yeah, like people say, right? right? right, right. Uh, because it's, uh, you know, you're going to have those moments where if you don't have faith and optimism. So thank you for that message. That's really, really powerful. Um, so 
Is there anything I didn't ask you? Because you've had like, I mean, I could go on and on. I've got like so many notes here. Um, is there anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to mention before we go to the lightning round? No, I don't think so. I think um, I, I am by nature a visionary kind of guy. So there are implementers and there's visionaries. And I would say find find the who find your tribe because I I am not a solopreneur and I cannot be a solopreneur. So I have always had to find the right people. So be very intentional about finding the right people would be a message I would give to a, an, an early stage entrepreneur, even a late stage entrepreneur is find the right tribe, find the right people who can come along on this journey with you. And it starts at home for me. I mean, my wife is the last person who wants to know anything about any of these ventures. But when you need that extra support, that really that rock, it's been foundational from my spouse, any business partners and then employees. And it's just pouring into those folks daily, I think is critical in terms of we're building something with others, we're not building something alone. That's really smart because I think that's, and again, um, complementary skills, right? You, you're, you're not going to be good at everything and finding somebody who's got that skill set that you don't have. But I like the other part of that, which is shared values, right? Yeah. So, so complementary skills, but you all, but you're thinking the same way in terms of values, you know, and that's a great partner. It's a trap for entrepreneurs, in fact, is not, is believing that they can do everything and they are really good at everything and that will limit scale. So I've seen multiple businesses where they will start to grow and start to have the opportunity to scale, but the founder's inability to let go and bring on the right people has has hindered or limited that yeah that potential and those are different skill sets you know founding a business mm -hmm. and those entrepreneurial skills to get something up and running and you know the professional management skills that take to run a larger oh, and yeah. scale totally different oh, skill absolutely. set right you yeah know? so um, all right so now we're going to go to the famous lightning round Ryan you ready for that yeah. we'll we'll jump right in. Um, so these are just quick answers. We just finish awesome. off with this. Uh, favorite book you already told us, The Holy Bible. Okay. So thank you. Um, what's a song from either your youth or just a song that inspires you or that's your go-to song? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say it is anything from the late 80s. That's where I Give, You got to pick one. Come on, Andy. I'm, I'm going to go with like Ice Ice Baby or something like that. Okay. Because my kids, <laughs> Vanilla Ice, my kids have brought it back. So okay. now I know every word and they're trying to learn the words. And I'm like, yeah, I'm the cool dad now. Okay. I will take it. Um, what's the best piece of advice you ever received? I would say um, – Believe in yourself, trust, trust in what, who you are, be who you are. I think that's a, uh, we all have this great potential, but be who you are, be yourself, like in different words, but it's, it basically means don't take on the limits of others. Just go be bold and just do it. And that's a lot encapsulated in there, but it's, yeah. I, I have to remind myself that daily because I will take on the limits of, oh, I'm not good enough or, oh, I can't do that thing. And it, it constantly have to remind yourself to be bold, trust in yourself, be yourself. And did you have a mentor? So I had a business partner. Okay. Until 2000 and or 2020. Okay. And then I hired my first ever mentor 
because I didn't know how to find a mentor. Didn't have the courage to ask somebody for that. Yeah. So uh, uh, the right person came into my life at the right moment and um, started working with that person. And now the person runs one of our companies. He loved the whole Blacksmith Ventures concept and is part of the team now. Great. Uh, Very aligned in terms of what we do. But it's been at that moment was a changing and a tipping point for me of of growth. And Steve Noodleberg, another local great mentor of mine, um, love him. And he has a different I I have just a ton of um, alignment in terms of his methodology and thought process. So I have been on the journey from 2020 till now of enjoying and thriving under mentorship. Great. Whereas before I was a bit of a lone bird doing it on intuition. And, and I have just found that one, you, you live a fuller life when you start to discover who you are and you have the right mentors. Two, you don't make near as many mistakes. You're bolder and you get where you want to be faster. Yeah. Awesome. How about a uh, favorite movie or you know, Netflix show or anything you're, you can recommend. So <laughs> the original Top Gun has always been what I say is yeah. my favorite. And now the new one comes out. So we yeah. have, we have both added pleasure, but which it's just, one you like better. The second one was, it's so funny. A lot of people have said that. Yeah. It was, you know, you have, you mix in now new technology and stuff, but the, I think that the theme is the same is that you go through something that you're not sure you can do. All right. They enter the, the school. They thrive at it. Adversity happens. You have to overcome that. And I think that's the same journey as I've seen in entrepreneurship where it's you're playing a long game and you can never look at the micro and say, oh, I'm a loser. Or I'm a failure. Or I'm, I'm unsuccessful because of this small dip. You're really it's a, a reminder to play the long game. The yeah. ups and the downs all balance out into the journey. So don't ever think you're a failure or you're better than you are based on certain amplitudes at certain times in your life. Interesting. How about, uh, what do you do for hobbies? So I've, fitness is a big part of my life. It mm-hmm. always has been, sports has always been a big part of my life. And then uh, when I sold our first venture, I became an employee, right? So I needed mm-hmm. something to like go explore. And I found myself in the world of triathlons. And so oh, wow. came down to Miami, did my first ever half Ironman. I was wow. watching the pros and I was training on my own. and swam in the ocean, jellyfish all over, did the bike, and then walked 13.1 miles <laughs> because I wasn't ready. Yeah. Came back the next year, exact same result. Next day, got back, hired a coach, joined a uh, program in the local Atlanta area, joined a community, Yeah, and then did triathlon for seven total years, just living my best life. Like, learned, did a couple full Ironmans and just- Wow. Um, Couple a, full Ironmans. That's impre- that's really impressive. It, similar to entrepreneurship, right? You're yeah. you're embarking on something that you don't know. You're curious as crap to learn about it. You see, there's others who are doing it out there who are successful, and you just keep fighting through all of the hard stuff, right, to get to whatever that potential is for you. And then 2020 happened. I tore my meniscus putting a sock on in the bathroom. <laughs> oh man. I'm like, holy crap. My kids are now getting older. And I'm like, now I'm just going to exercise. <laughs> so I exercise daily, yeah. but it is part of the refreshing for me to, I think better. I, I have great ideas when I'm out exercise. It's just, it's, it's a neutralizer yeah. for That's me. That's interesting. So just, you know, I find like when I'm running, 
that I have like incredible ideas. Yeah. And I don't run as much as I used to, but I try to run at least once a week because it's like just such an idea generator for me. Absolutely. But, uh, and I did, I've done some triathlons, but I never did an Ironman. So uh, for anybody who doesn't know Ironman triathlon, I mean, that's like a 12 hour, you know, you're running, biking, swimming, you're doing a marathon run at mm. the end. Uh, 112 whatever Total mile miles, bike yeah. ride yeah a two and then over a two 2.2 mile swim i think yeah 2.4 mile swim and yeah 2.4 112 wow. mile bike and then a 26 mile run yeah so that's a it's a lot just of saying that training. creeps me out right now yeah. so that's yeah <laughs> yeah so so that's great how about if you could have uh dinner with any person in history living now or dead or who would that be? Who? The, the name that comes to mind, I think, would be maybe Abraham Lincoln. And mm -hmm. I think the reason for that is because there was such a transitional point going on and how to, how to dig into your personal character and be the spokesperson, the leader, the, the influencer that he was at the time mm -hmm. and how to discern and choose from two very, you know, competing things that are going on. And just, so that would, I think someone like that who has that different perspective would be, would be cool. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, do you have a new skill you're learning at all? Social media, brother. I've been focused on that sucker for, okay. we were talking about it two years now. Has Noodleberg been helping you with that? This month. So we found each other through LinkedIn. Okay. Amazingly enough. You so and Steve, okay. I. I set out two years ago to. Well, that's how we found each other. Yeah, too. yeah. The power and it to is. be to be consistent on LinkedIn, posting something every single day, and the first long period of time, months and months and months, would take hours just to generate an idea of what to post and yeah. how to post it. And what I realized through that was, don't give up. Be consistent. Whether it's resonating or not, you're building up muscle. You're building up consistency. And then fast forward two years, I've. I'm sitting here with you, which is fantastic. Yeah. Met wonderful people from all over. Sure. And just, I've learned this and I, I gobbled this up a little bit between Steve and Mark Nudelberg. So we put out content to make connections. We make connections to have conversations and then conversations drive opportunity. So. Love that. Is that a Nudelberg nugget? Are you going to. It was a little <laughs> bit from, it's a Nudelberg nugget okay. somewhere in the, in the household, but a little bit from Mark, a little bit from Steve, and yeah, then a little yeah. bit. You put with a little Andy sprinkling something on okay. him. Like, oh, that's so right because that's, that's what we're doing. And so, yeah. trying, learning. I'm, I always like when I listen to podcasts, I'm listening to the cool kids are out building these businesses, mm -hmm. making two gazillions of dollars overnight with all their fancy tech. I'm like, how are they doing that? When, so, it's, it's the world is changing rapidly. And yeah. so, I love being a student of the game with all of this changing. Great. So, uh, tell us, how can people get in touch with you, Andy. So I'm on, I think every platform at Andy Smith life. Okay. And then andysmithlife.com. Okay. All leads straight in. And then you can find me from on everywhere from there. Uh, and on all like you're on LinkedIn, you're on, uh, the other social media. <laughs> we do. Well. We're, yeah. we're really working hard on YouTube right now. Okay. And starting to, to explore that more. And then Instagrams and the Facebooks and sure. I can't break into Twitter. I keep trying, but it's uh, sprinkling drops of water in the ocean. Yeah, that's, Twitter's crazy. Or X now, right? Yeah. X, uh, yeah. What about TikTok? 
So in 2020, we're hunkered in for the the COVID, right? Yeah. And my kids know of this thing called TikTok. They're not on it. We won't let them be on it. But we we have a place over in the Panhandle of Florida, and so we we stayed there for the three months. Okay. And so there are early TikToks of Andy Smith life dancing with his two daughters and young boy, <laughs> and learning it, and then. Now I use it daily to post on Twitter. Wow. On TikTok. On TikTok. Yeah. Um, similar type messaging. Yeah. But it went from dancing with the kids. And then we had our first one as a family go viral. Right. Okay. And you just could see the views skyrocketing. You get the adrenaline pump. You're like, oh. And then, um, so yeah. So it is definitely Interesting. used to make fun of me or the kids. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, it's it's an interesting platform. It's yeah. how it... T- Builds how the algorithm builds your tribe and your community versus the other ones is really different. And so, um, yeah, cool. we're trying them all for sure. All right. Well, this has been very interesting. And thank you for coming all the way from Atlanta, our first out-of-town guest. And it was it was certainly impactful having you on uh, our podcast. Thank you, Andy. Thank you so much, friend. Thanks for tuning in to Localities Making Bank podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to catch the latest episodes and visit localitybank.com today to learn more about all the benefits of banking local.